Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 21. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Gene, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Exilic. And uh, I want to wish you a belated happy Thanksgiving. Some of you look a few pounds heavier. Um, and I do see some new faces, so if you're in town kind of for the holidays and visiting our church, I just want to say welcome. And whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, whether Thanksgiving is a time full of blessing and happiness and joy, or if Thanksgiving is uh, a lonely time, a painful time for you, I just want you to know that you are welcome here, um, and we will look at God's word together, so uh, welcome again. We've been going through a sermon series on the book of Genesis, and we're seeing kind of how the story began. And if you look at how Genesis is structured, the first 11 chapters of Genesis are about God's relationship with the whole world. So it's about how God created the world, how the world fell into the curse of sin, 
And then we saw in Genesis 6 how God recreated the world under Noah. And in chapter 11, we saw the Tower of Babel and how the different nations and the different people groups uh, were established. And while the first 11 chapters deal with the whole world and all the nations, the rest of the book of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, deal with one family and the beginning of one nation. So Abraham and his family and the beginning of the nation of Israel. And we kind of see the plan of God to save the world begin to crystallize. So if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned and all of humanity and creation fell. But right there in Genesis 3, God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So even as he judges Adam and Eve, he's promising in the same breath to save them. And the way he's going to save them will be through Abram and his descendants. So this is why when God first calls Abram in Genesis chapter 12, he says this, In you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So man and woman, they lost relationship with God because of sin, and God restores relationship with mankind. And the way that he does this is through covenant. Covenant. The type of relationship that God initiates with us, it's a covenant relationship. Now, covenant is not a very familiar concept in our world today. Um, right after this service, I'm going to go officiate a wedding, and that's really the only way that we kind of understand covenant in our everyday lives, a marriage covenant. But we don't have too many other examples of that kind of in our modern society today. But understanding the covenant it is a key component to understanding the Bible and Christianity. Because the way that God interacts with us is covenantal. The way the Bible is written is covenantal. God wants us to relate to him covenantally. So in our passage today from Genesis 17, do you know how many times God uses the word covenant? 17 times. It's important. And let me give you an example of why this is important. So this past Thursday, it was Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, we kept it a little smaller this year at the Jew household. So it was just kind of my immediate family. It was me, my kids, my wife, my mother-in-law. And then my sister came and she brought her two friends from Germany who were kind of experiencing their first American Thanksgiving uh, my cousin Patrick was there, and Heidi from our church also came. I know it sounds like a lot of people as I list it out, but it's, it's smaller than usual. Um, and my relationship with each person there was different and unique. Right? So there's a spousal relationship with my wife. There's the parent-child relationship that I have with my boys. I'm a dutiful son-in-law to Jeannie's mom. And there's the sibling relationship that I have with my sister. There's a cousin and close friend relationship that I have with uh, Patrick. And then Heidi's basically my boss, so I have to impress her. Um, 
And then I have to be a hospitable host to my sister's friends from Germany because now I'm representing all of America here. So, uh, you know, I just met them and, and, and I have to be a good host to them. The way I interacted with, with each person at this dinner was different depending on the nature of my relationship with them. So if I were to mix up the different relationships at the dinner, it could have been a very awkward evening. If I were to treat my sister's German friends, if I were to talk to them the way that I talk to my sons, they'd be like, bro, why are you shouting at me? (laughs) They would be offended. If If I trolled Heidi the way I troll my sister, then I'd be in a lot of trouble here at work. If I, if I tried to talk about the NBA or the latest stand-up specials on Netflix with my mother-in-law instead of my cousin Pat, she'd look at me like I was crazy. The moment I get the relationship wrong, I interact inappropriately. The type of relationship that we have with God is a covenantal relationship. If we don't understand the distinctives of that relationship, then we will interact with God inappropriately. And that is why this is so important. So I want to highlight three aspects of our covenant relationship with God from our passage today. I want to point to God's covenant nearness, His covenant authority, and His covenant grace. So nearness, authority, and grace. So first, God's covenant nearness. Now, I know for Abram, it must have felt often as though God were really distant and far away, right? So God first calls Abram, and he tells him about his covenant in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham's about 75 years old. Then God reaffirms his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, So that probably takes place about 10 years later. And then between last week's passage that we looked at, Genesis 16, and this week's passage in Genesis 17, another 13 years have gone by. So Abram is now 99 years old. So it's almost like God shows up to Abram once a decade to kind of remind Abram and tell him more about his covenant. So from one perspective, God might seem very far off, but I think the fact that God would engage in a relationship with someone like Abram, that is astounding. That is astounding. I remember the first time that my faith was ever really challenged. Uh, I grew up in the church, so I grew up learning that God loved me that God was my heavenly father. Um, I, I, I learned about Jesus dying on the cross for me, for my sins, and I just took it all as true. I never really questioned it growing up. I learned my Bible, I went to church, and for me, that was kind of very, it, it went unchallenged for most of my childhood. But then around the fifth or sixth grade, um, I remember going to uh, my best friend's house, and his parents, they were like second parents to me. And I respected them so much. And I remember one evening I was there, and uh, my friend's dad, I don't know what got into him, maybe he had a few, and he just started like talking to me about my faith, because my, my friend's parents knew that I went to church every week, they knew that it was an important part of my life, 
Um, and he started talking about faith, and he started challenging my faith assumptions. And he started saying things like, man, the idea that God, the God who created the universe, he created the galaxies, he created the world would know and care about you? Come on. He said it's so arrogant to him that, that Christians think that the almighty God loves them and has a special relationship with them and that he would even die for them. Come on. I just remember hearing him scoffing. And for me, kind of as, as, as really as a sixth grader, that was the first time I ever thought about that. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, now that you put it like that, that does sound weird. That does sound strange. And you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm, I'm a pastor. And there are times where it's still just as inconceivable to me. Like, if I went up to you today and I said, hey, guess what? I know Taylor Swift. We're really close. And you know what? She loves you. And she wants to be your friend. You would look at me like I was crazy. And you would say, you're lying. That's not true. Because why would someone on her level know and care about someone like me or someone like you? Now stretch that analogy out to the God of the universe, God Almighty, committing himself to a relationship with you where you are his beloved and special child. Someone like you is loved and adored by God. That is the astonishing claim of the Bible. That God would covenant himself to the likes of us. We, we saw last week just what type of person Abram was. He wasn't a good, deserving, and righteous person. We saw that he was deeply flawed, he was insecure, he was scared, and he was cruel. And yet God tells him, I will be God to you. I will bless you. I will be your God. You and your descendants will be my people. You know, we regularly recite this in our affirmation of faith. But take a look at Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 7. It says this, The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express by way of covenant. And what this is saying is this, we have no business being in a relationship with God, but that only happens by God voluntarily condescending himself to be in a relationship with us. And this relationship is expressed by covenant. So let me give us a working definition of covenant. This is by my old seminary professor, Michael Horton, in his book uh, on covenant theology, God of Promise. He says this, A covenant is a relationship of oaths and bonds and involves mutual, though not necessarily equal, commitments. So in other words, what he's saying is this, a covenant is a formal relationship through promises and commitments. 
It requires God to come down to our level and commit and bind himself to his people. And did you know that this is one of the principal biggest differences between the God of the Bible and Islam's Allah? So Allah, according to Muslims, is utterly transcendent. He's unbound. Allah can never be bound. He's completely free to do whatever he wants, including changing his mind. In Islam, there's no guarantee or certainty that submission to Allah and the tenets of Islam will save you. Why? Because Allah can ultimately change his mind at any moment, no matter what you've done. The covenant God of the Bible is very different. He voluntarily condescends. He commits himself. He binds himself through his own word to his people. He swears by himself, and he can never go against his promises. So the fact that God is a covenant God, it's not only astounding in God's nearness, but it's extremely comforting for us because God is steadfast. He's committed to his covenant forever. We just sang the words, you're faithful forever. The covenant is God coming near to his people, committing himself to them forever. Here's the central aspect of God's covenant of grace in verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. That is God's covenant nearness. Well, my next point is God's covenant authority. God comes to Abram, and here's how he introduces himself in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. In the Hebrew, God's name for himself, God Almighty, is El Shaddai. And one commentator, Richard Phillips, says that El Shaddai, it combines the word for God with a a name that is thought to represent strength, the strength of a mountain. So the idea here is that God is stronger than all of creation. You know, covenants, they were pretty common in Abram's time, but the most famous type of covenant was between a strong king and a weaker king. So rather than completely completely wiping out the weaker king's kingdom, the strong king, he would allow the weaker king to maintain his authority, but the weaker king would have to swear allegiance to the strong king. And the strong king would set the terms of the covenant. He'll say, here's what you'll do for me. You're going to pay me this amount in taxes. You're going to obey my laws. In return, I will offer you protection and provision for you if you ever need it. If you obey me, here's the blessings you'll receive. If you disobey me, here are the consequent penalties for disobedience. So God here, he is establishing himself as a strong king. 
I am God Almighty. What that means is this. I set the terms. This is my covenant that I am making with you. It's not negotiable. It's not amendable. All authority here is mine. I am God Almighty, not you. Another seminary professor of mine, Ian Dugat, he puts it this way. He says this, essentially for us, a covenant is a relationship based on the surrender of control. So the only choices we have, we have two choices. The first choice, surrender. Enter into the covenant relationship. Receive the covenant blessings. Or the second choice, remain independent and face the prospect of annihilation. That's it. Those are your only two choices in life when it comes to this covenant. And God reiterates this but not, by not just sharing his name, El Shaddai, but by giving Abram a new name. You know, God doesn't just get to set the terms of the covenant. He has the authority to define Abram's very identity, his name, the thing most sacred and precious to him, the thing that's most personal to him. And, you know, we live in a culture here in the West where the prevailing virtue is autonomy. It's individual expression, right? Every Disney movie... It's about not letting anyone else tell you who you are. You determine for yourself who you are, your identity. Don't let parents, don't let society, don't let institutions, don't let religion, don't let traditions define who you are. You do it, your truth, your identity. And in this way, the gospel is very countercultural. Because it calls us to surrender, find our identity in Christ, who is Lord over our lives. We submit to the authority of God. And this is very difficult at times. Because the ways of God, they often seem so counterintuitive and even ridiculous and foolish at times to the world. You know, one of the most sensitive areas of Abraham's identity, it must have been his inability to have children. So Abram's name, it literally means exalted father. Like, that's what his dad named him. His name was exalted father. He's named that, but he doesn't have a child until he's 86 years old. And even that comes through forcing his slave to bear his child. So throughout his whole adulthood into old age, he can't be a father, even though his name means exalted father. And then he finally bears a child in literally the worst and the most shameful way possible. The irony of this, it's like, it's like me naming my child LeBron, and he's like terrible at basketball. He can't dribble at all. Can you imagine how Abram went through life every day, every time he met someone and introduced himself, hey, how's it going? My name's Abram. Oh, Abram, exalted father, nice. How many kids do you have? None. 
So when God comes to Abram and says, hey, guess what? You are going to be a father. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a lot of children. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He must have thought, man, this is exactly what I've been looking for my whole life. But God will not be rushed. He waits until Abram is 99 years old. And he comes in our passage to Abram and he says this. Look at verse 4. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. God tells Abram that his new name will be Abraham. Abraham means Father of a multitude. So this probably doesn't make any sense to Abram when he hears this. Father of a multitude? I'm 99 years old. God, are you, are you just messing with me right now? Are you, are you mad at me because of what I did to Hagar and how I had Ishmael? It, it sounds crazy to Abraham. What do you mean, father of a multitude? I had one child at 86. 13 years have gone by. I'm 99 years old now. And then, get this, God says, the sign of the covenant? Here's what you're going to do. There's something called circumcision that I want you to try. Like, as I was studying this passage this week, I, I imagine that I was one of Abraham's servants. And Abraham comes to me and says, hey, Gene, guess what? I, I just met God, and here's what God told me. I know my name's Abram, which means exalted father, but, but God said I'm going to change my name to father of a multitude, Abraham. So you call me that from now on. Also, God also told me that I have to circumcise you. Sorry. I would have looked at him and I would have said, old man, you are completely insane. What are you talking about? This is, full, this is ridiculous. And you know what? God's ways, they look completely ridiculous, not only to outsiders, but even to Abraham himself. Look at verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Abraham can't help but laugh because it just seems so crazy to him. And he basically says this, God, let's be reasonable. This is, this is too much. This is too impossible even for you. So here's what he says to God. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Abraham feels in that moment like he knows better than God. He's wiser than God. God's making no sense right now. God, let me tell you what you should do. I already have a son. He's 13 Ishmael, may he stand before you. May, he, may you work through him. He's wiser than God. He's more sensible than God. 
You know, if we're honest, we do that too, don't we? We like to tell God how to work in our lives rather than submitting to God. We do that all the time. I remember when I was in college, I was actually preparing for law school uh, and a career in corporate law. Uh, but God started working in my heart, and he, he was giving me a heart for missions, um, maybe a, li- a life committed to ministry, and uh, I, was, I was torn. I was at the crossroads, not knowing kind of where God wanted me to go. So I went on a summer mission trip uh, to China, and I said, God, if this is your will that you want me to serve Uh, And to give my life to you as a missionary or a pastor, give me a sign that that's what you want from me. Give me a sign. And um, I I went to China, and we had our training in a city called Chengdu. That's in western China, in the Sichuan province. So all the way in western China, we had our training, and I I met a girl there. And... um, you know, we spent the day together. She was like showing us around, just randomly met her on the street. And it turns out she's a Christian. Not only is she a Christian, she was the child of Korean missionaries. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, um, get this, she's like, I'm going to go to New York City next month to, to go to school. And she's like my age. And I was like, here's the sign. It's <laughs> like, this is, this is the sign. And then, you know, I, I, like we, we went off to different parts of China. We were in like rural China teaching English for, for months. And then two months later, something crazy happened. Two months later, I ended up in Qingdao, which is a city in east, the east coast of China. So this is like, like L.A. to Maine, right? I'm in Qingdao, 1.5 billion people in China at the time. At a random KFC, I meet this girl again. And I was like, this is God confirming the covenant. <laughs> this is it. We're going to, we're going to get married. We're going, to have, we're going to do a life of missions, have beautiful babies. Like, this is it. So I, I gave her my, my email address and my phone number. And I said, hey, I'm in New York City. You know, when you come to New York, I will return the favor. Um, I will date, I mean, show you around. And then, <laughs> and then you know, we'll go from there. So then I, I did that. I came back to New York, and uh, I never heard from her again. (laughs) I thought, God, I was so sure. I was so sure that that was the sign. But God is funny. Sometimes not in a funny way. Because you know what the sign turned turned out to be? Three weeks later, after I got back from that trip, it was my 20th birthday on 9-11, And I spent that entire day looking in New York City for a dear brother of mine who worked on the 93rd floor of the North Tower. God signed for me. It it wasn't a new girlfriend, but it was the painful loss of someone I loved. And if I could have it my way, it would have been a very different sign. But he is El Shaddai. He is God Almighty. I'm not. It's funny that God tells Abraham that he's going to have a son with Sarah, and you're going to name your son Isaac. Isaac means 
laughter. So every time Sarah and Abraham would call their son, Isaac, Isaac, they would be reminded of God doing the impossible in their lives, of God's authority and sovereignty. I want to ask you this today. If you're a Christian, are there areas in your life that you are clinging to, that you're unwilling to surrender to God? Are there aspects of your life, maybe a career, maybe it's a relationship that you're in, maybe it's family, maybe it's comfort. Is there an area of your life where you insist on being God? Remember what we said, a covenant is a relationship based on the surrender of control. And that's why the sign of the covenant that God prescribes here is circumcision. What is circumcision? It's an invasive cutting into the area of the male body, which is the most personal and intimate. It's a sign that the most private part of Abraham is surrendered to God. It's a sign that all authority... In this relationship, it belongs to God Almighty. God's covenant authority. But my last point is God's covenant grace. When Pastor Aaron preached on Genesis 15 a few weeks ago, he said that God's covenant with Abraham was a unilateral covenant, right? That it's a one-way covenant from God to Abraham. God says, I will do it. But remember the covenant that God made with Adam in Genesis 2? That was a bilateral covenant. That was, you do your part, I will do my part. You obey me about the tree, you will live. You disobey me about the tree, you will surely die. That was a covenant of works. But this covenant that God makes with Abraham, it's a covenant of grace. It's not based on Abraham's obedience. Right? I mentioned the strong king, weaker king covenant earlier. There was another type of covenant in Abram's time. This was a covenant between a king and one of his favored subjects. In this covenant, the king was so pleased with his servant that he would bless him for past performance. It's like a reward. I love you. I'm so happy with you that based on your, your past performance, I'm going to bless you. This covenant was not contingent on ongoing performance, but on something that was already completed, already accomplished. So let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, Pastor Aaron also talked about our good friend, uh, John Gim, who's now a missionary in Cambodia. Um, he lived with me and Aaron. He was our, our third roommate, and he's one of the sharpest guys I know. He, he was a C-level employee at a Fortune 500 company, and he told his company, sorry, guys, I'm going to go become a missionary full-time in Cambodia. And they said, what? And here's what they did to try to kind of retain him. They gifted him with a ton of stock, and they said, here, no strings attached, this is just based on everything you've done for our company. We're so thankful. Here it is. I guess there was one string. You just have to wait three years for it to vest. 
but it, it, it wasn't tied to ongoing performance. It was based on something that was already accomplished. All he had to do was receive it. Problem is he didn't receive it. Well, I kept telling him, just take it, man. Because we're talking about like retirement money here, like seven figures, like crazy amount of money. And he said, I don't want to wait three years. But that's kind of the type of covenant that God makes with Abraham. It's just a one way. Here, no strings attached. You, here it is. Here's the blessings of the covenant. But in Abraham's case, it wasn't based on his own individual performance. Remember, he wasn't a very good person. He wasn't able to obey God's law perfectly. But this covenant would be based on someone else's performance. Look at Genesis 15, verse 6. And he believed the Lord, Abraham, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So this is how the covenant works. Abraham believes in God, and God counts his faith to him as righteousness. Now, that word for count, it's the word credit. So Abraham's account is credited as righteous. So if you buy something with a credit card, you... you like maybe on Black Friday, you bought something. You take possession of what you bought, but the payment for that comes later. You get credit now, but the actual transaction happens later. Abraham receives righteousness and covenant blessing on credit, but the payment for that, the covenant blessing, comes through his descendant 2,000 years later. God provides his own son, Jesus Christ, to be a substitute or a covenant mediator between God and man. His work is the payment. His work is the basis for our covenant blessing. He receives the covenant curse upon the cross. He's cut off from blessing, from life, from fruitfulness. And because he pays our debt... We are credited as righteous. We receive God's grace. He is our God. We are his people because, all because of our covenant mediator, Jesus Christ. This is good news for us. This is our only hope for salvation. It's entirely based on someone else's performance, someone else's work that we are brought into the covenant and we can have a relationship with God. And the more you think about this covenant, about God's covenant relationship with us, the more it will amaze you that God would commit himself to someone like you. He gives you a new identity. He gives you blessing in him. He is your God. You are his child. And it's all based on someone else's efforts, someone else's work. All you do is you receive an eternal inheritance purely by grace. It sounds too good to be true. I remember one time I, we, we were in a meeting with Tim Keller, and he was sharing very honestly his biggest struggle in faith. And, and he said the biggest struggle, the biggest doubt he sometimes had was, man, this is so good. Maybe it's too good to be true. The gospel is too good. 
I pray that this would be the case for us. So how should we respond to this covenant? Let's take one last look at at verse 1. God says this, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. First, like Abraham, fall on your face before God Almighty. Marvel at his greatness. Surrender your life to him completely. Second, walk before him and with him. Lastly, live your life. You're not going to live your life blamelessly, but live your life in holiness to please him. We have in God a covenant God. Let us embrace the covenant. Let us embrace our covenant God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your nearness, and we also thank you that you are God Almighty. We thank you that you have given us a relationship, that you have committed yourself to us. Help us to embrace our covenant relationship with you. Thank you so much for the covenant blessings we have, all because of our covenant mediator, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.